Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Beer Show. Um, I'm really excited about this episode, but before we get started, as always, I got to remind you guys, if you ever want to find out what's going on in the craft beer scene in the DMV, just head on over to dcbeer.com where all the information you need is there. That's all I'm going to say right now, because I want to dive into this episode. Uh, I have with us in the studio today, Teresa McCullough. Teresa is a Harvard PhD, a graduate of the Cambridge School of Culinary Culinary Arts. Yes. <laughs> um, she's also a former CIA analyst, but most important for us, <laughs> most important for us, Teresa is the curator of the American Brewing History Initiative at the Smithsonian Institution. Welcome to the DC Beer Show, Teresa, and thank you for joining thank us. Thank you so much for having me. We are really excited. And one day I want to do just a whole show on you and everything no, that you've done. No, no. Um, I hope we'll get to do that. But mm-hmm. today we're going to focus on uh, the fifth annual Smithsonian Food History Weekend, which is coming up November 7th through 9th. That's right. Right. Yes. Uh, and specifically, some exciting things that are happening during that weekend and beyond. Uh, the first of which is there is a new section uh, that's going to be uh, part of the uh, food history exhibit. That's right. Yes. So yes. All right, and we're gonna we're gonna really dive into that. Uh, and then that weekend, uh, one of the events is uh, the Last Call event, which is going to be an excellent panel conversation about sort of the origins of craft beer with some amazing guests we will talk about in just a minute. But let's dive into how all this came together. So tell our listeners, Teresa, what you've been doing for the past two years and how it led to where we are now. Yes. Well, thank you. So uh, so as you mentioned, I am the curator of the American Brewing History Initiative, which is this program at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History to collect and preserve the histories of craft brewing and home brewing in America. Mm. And so I've had the completely fabulous job of traveling the country and meeting with an incredible array of very talented women and men in all different parts of the nation um, to learn about all the different corners of, of the brewing industry and to think about how the Smithsonian could actually build a new archive of this history, which is really recent and ongoing. And so, you know, it's interesting for me as a historian to work with this material that is is very much history in the making and to, to have discussions with people about the kinds of things that they might be able to contribute to the Smithsonian, how they can tell their stories in a way that helps us understand their careers within bigger frameworks of American history and the American brewing industry. Um, and so when I started in January 2017 with this um, charge to collect this history, and, and the project I should mention is funded by a generous gift from the Brewers Association, which is the, the nonprofit trade group that mm-hmm. um, supports independent brewers. You know, it seemed to me, you know, where else to start but the beginning. And so my very first trip, you know, flew out to the Bay Area of Northern California. And uh, that place and the people I spoke with there, including um, Fritz Maytag and Ken Grossman and Michael Lewis at UC Davis, Vinicia Lurzo at Russian River, you know, a lot of the history there just really has become a kind of through line for the the subsequent um, months and years of my research. And so over time, my method has evolved into this attempt to get at a kind of cross-section of brewing culture in a particular city or region. You know, this is a massive industry. We have upwards of, of 6,000 active breweries. I realize there's some estimates that put that over 7,000. Right. Um, and so, you know, certainly we can't we can't trap an encyclopedic collection of that story, but what I think would be interesting uh, for 
scholars now and in the future and for brewers too, is to kind of, again, get a slice or kind of cross section of what's going on. And so as I travel to different places, whether that be uh, Seattle or the Midwest or, um, you know, places in New England, I I try to speak with brewers who have been in business for several decades, who have Mm -hmm. seen the industry change over time. Brewers who have opened just a couple years ago, perhaps, are feeling the, the competition in a different way. I try to speak with people who are not brewers at all, who are maybe involved in media and in, in you know, alerting the broader drinking public to the exciting things that are happening in, in the brewing world. Um, and then even, you know, professions beyond that. So one of my very interesting interviews, for example, was in Random Lake, Wisconsin, wow. which is just a bit, bit north of Milwaukee. And uh, in this nondescript little factory off the side of the highway, this company, AJS Tap Handles, they manufacture 80% of the tap handles that you will see in a bar or a restaurant across the United States. Wow. And spoke with this, uh, this graphic designer who works there, used to work for Kohl's, um, quit Kohl's, and now designs tap handles. And, and he, you know, in, in a really fascinating way, he is this first line of communication between a brewer and a potential customer. And so we had this amazing conversation about the aesthetic of craft beer, about the aesthetic of beer in general, about um, how do how can breweries communicate with customers in, in a visual format in a way that he can help them do. Wow, that's that's really interesting. I hadn't thought, we talk a lot about tap handles, me and my friends, because you always see a nice one or a good one, and you're like, oh, that's really cool, you know. Um, but you don't think about who makes those. Exactly. You know? yes, <laughs> right? yes. And there's like one company in Random Lake, Wisconsin. Yeah. It makes eighty yeah. percent of them. It, uh, yes, and so I got a tour of the factory floor, That's which is totally awesome. amazing. And uh, they are crafted by hand, many of them, and you know, painted. And uh, it's a really wonderful little world. And I'm sure they would be happy to give anybody a tour who, who shows up in Random Lake. I'm going to have to find a way to get there because that sounds really, really, really interesting. Um, and so you get to talk to people, uh, like you said, across sort of everything that has to do with beer, as you're essentially putting together this history of sort of the the foundations of what is now the modern craft beer industry. So how deeply do you go sort of back further than say the seventies? Um, or do you, or does your work and research really sort of start with those early pioneers? Well, and so my, my active collecting and by collecting, I mean, um, collecting objects and documents and recording oral histories. Oral histories are, are really a, a cornerstone of the research. Mm-hmm. The earliest of those uh, date-wise would, would be my initial conversation with Fritz Maytag. He, mm-hmm. he purchased Anchor Brewing Company in 1965, well, Steam Beer Brewing Company, as it was known then, and uh, and revitalized it into Anchor, which you know in many ways was the first microbrewery of modern times. Um, but what is so gratifying about the work that I am doing related to this current era of brewing history is to understand how beer now fits into a much longer timeline. And so, you know, my first task when I joined the American History Museum was to figure out what the museum already had related to beer and, you know, what was the foundation that we already had. And and it turns out we have a very rich foundation of materials there. Um, We have a collection of brewing equipment and breweriana um, from that dates to the late 19th century, early 20th century. We have a fabulous collection of advertising material, sheet music, 
Uh, these are all things that inform what beer looks like today. Wait, I want to step back and ask about the sheet music. Yes. Tell me how the sheet music relates to that. Oh, okay. No, I mean, this is, this is one of my favorite collections at the, at the museum. And um, so we have a, a large collection of sheet music with beautiful illustrated covers at the, at the museum. And so uh, a great array of drinking songs um, oh. for post-prohibition, drinking songs and pre-prohibition. My favorite, very favorite perhaps, are the, the sheet music from the Prohibition era. And so, you know, this is the period from 1920 to 1933 when it was illegal to uh, to produce and, <laughs> and sell alcohol, not mm-hmm. illegal to consume alcohol. Um, but there is a particular piece of music I'm thinking of. And the title of this song is I never knew I had a wonderful wife until the town went dry. <laughs> and so it shows this man, you know, gazing longingly at his wife. Uh, you know, he's trapped inside the house because the saloon's closed and suddenly his wife is much more interesting than he realizes. And uh, so, you know, that, but that that also is another example of the way in which, um, you know, materials related to beer, they don't have to be just about beer. You know, beer connects to all facets of American history, of American life, you know, whether right. it's immigration history or gender, or advertising culture. So uh, really in any corner of, of the museum and in American history, you can you can find beer, or I can find beer there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. That I mean, so there's there is that history, and then you've started bringing that history into sort of I don't want to say the modern age because that's a little strange, but but sort of catching up that collection uh, to to bring in sort of everything that's happened over the last forty. 45 years. Um, and a lot, of course, has happened <laughs> over that period of time. So as you're gathering these oral histories and also putting together sort of artifacts of, of this history, uh, what's the end result of that? Other than just, I mean, obviously, this is a Smithsonian institution, it has enormous collections, and there's the bigger the collection of sort of these types of artifacts and oral histories that the Smithsonian can have, the better for the future of all of us and the future of the history. But in terms of the public, when do we get to see this stuff? <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, so uh, you will get to see it very, very soon in a, a traditional exhibit format. And and to your to your question as to what you know what happens to the stuff when it comes in the museum, that's a good question. And the Smithsonian and the American History Museum in particular um, is very thoughtful about what it collects. And yes, our collections are enormous because we uh, still preserve the collections of curators who have come before us. And we anticipate there will be curators, of course, who come after us. But, uh, you know, in terms of, of the thinking that goes into to what how one collects, I mean, it's especially challenging with relation to a subject like beer, because we can't collect beer itself, of course, sure. even though I've been offered um, full <laughs> bottles or full cans of beer, that's not that's not practical to collect. And so, uh, you know, what ends up being collected is the the entire set of material culture surrounding beer. So brewing equipment or brewing logs or recipes, um, favored textbooks or, uh, you know, other material, you know, um, tangible reminders of, of the processes involved in making beer. Um, we've already been able to share some of these objects with the public at certain public programs. Um, we call them objects out of storage. And so if mm-hmm. you've ever come to the National Museum of American History during a public event and there's a curator at a table and, and you know, there's some archival objects that have been pulled out of storage rooms, uh, that's a, a really fun way to be able to share those items with with someone, you know, right across the table, you know, not even separated by by glass. But um, what is incredibly exciting and new, and I'm so happy to be able to share it at this point, is that after two and a half years of collecting um, these, you know, a lot of the objects I've collected so far will be going into this new section of the um, popular food history exhibit at the American History Museum. It's called Food Transforming the American Table. If you've been to the museum um, recently, you know, within the past, uh, well, since 2012, this is where Julia Child's Kitchen 
Kitchen Lives. It's kind mm-hmm. of crown jewel that welcomes you into this exhibit. And the exhibit, um, up until now, has told the stories of how cultural change and technological change has impacted what we eat and drink as a country. Um, but we've decided, the curatorial team and I decided to give it a, a pretty thorough refresh. And as part of this refresh, um, a new section will be present in the exhibit dedicated to the history of beer. And uh, yes, very exciting for sure. Um, and so, you know, again, the the real estate uh, in exhibits at the museum is so precious. And so it's just a, you know, it's it's going to tell this tiniest little corner of, of brewing history, um, you know, a kind of peek at, at great things to come. But um, this new section, which has been titled Brewing a Revolution, is about the very earliest years of homebrewing and microbrewing in the 1960s through 1980s. It's very focused on California and Colorado in particular, and some of the very important personalities who were working there uh, in those places at that time and really influenced so many people um, who, who came after them. Wow. Can you give us some yes, hints as to of course, what for sure. some of the things people could see? I can, yeah. Excellent. And so um, so uh, we have one case that focuses um, very much on the careers of Fritz Maytag, who, as I've already mentioned, uh, purchased Anchor Brewing Company in 1965. Uh, Michael Lewis, a professor emeritus of brewing science at UC Davis, he was the first professor of brewing science on the continent and just built the UC Davis program into what it is today. And Charlie Papazian, who, mm-hmm. uh, as we know, is a, a father of American home brewing. And I picked those figures in particular to, to kind of kick off this story because they each worked in different kinds of sites. You have um, Fritz, who it was a, a professional brewer, of course, but um, he has this wonderful quote during his oral history that I recorded with him where he described a basement lab that he had as a boy when he was a little boy and growing up in Iowa in the 1930s and 1940s. His dad gave him a microscope uh, as a kind of toy, but it made Fritz into this science whiz. And uh, he said, since a, since I was a boy, I, I always was really interested in this idea of alchemy, of mixing mm. things together, of seeing what will happen. And so, you know, this idea of him as an alchemist, you know, I think carried through to decades later when he purchased Anchor and he brought this microscope into the brewery and he put slides of Anchor's beer under the microscope and, and used this tool to uh, understand and fix inconsistencies in the beer, and this microscope is is going to be in the exhibit. Oh, wow. Yeah, and That's exciting. Uh, yes, it, you know it's a an amazing object that was so precious to Fritz that you know normally when we have objects that are donated to the museum, they are packed up by fine arts shippers, mm-hmm. and you know if they need to be moved across a distance to arrive in D.C. But even this was too precious that they they couldn't let it travel that way. And so Dave Burkhart, who is the historian at Anchor Brewing Company, bought a ticket on a plane um, to to fly to D.C. and to bring the microscope with him as his precious carry-on. Wow. Uh, and described to us that he didn't even, um, you know, he, he even brought the microscope with him to breakfast at the hotel on his way to the <laughs> museum because it's just such a treasured, um, treasured object with so much history to it. And then Michael Lewis, Charlie Papazian, each donated really wonderful, meaningful things. Um, Michael Lewis gave to us his personal teaching copy of his co-authored brewing textbook, which he wow. had been using until just a few months ago in the classroom. It arrived at the museum. Uh, the binding's totally broken. It was held together with, um, I think it was a, a purple rubber band, you know, an asparagus rubber band, <laughs> like you would get at the grocery store holding it together. The pages are full of margin, you know, marginalia, coffee stains, and it was just, it was an awesome um, remnant of a teacher inspiring others. You know, this is, yeah. this is a tool used in the classroom. Didn't Bill Madden go to UC David, Davis? I, I, I think 
I think that could I, be right. I, I, think I think so. I, I think he did. So I, I, I mean, it's, it's hard to find people who do not <laughs> go to right. UC Davis. So. Right. And it's yeah. been brewing that long. Oh, for sure. And and Michael Lewis is still, so after beginning at UC Davis in 1962, he's still teaching there now in the extension school. And I just was out at Boneyard Beer in Bend, Oregon in August. And um, there was a, a woman who was brewing um, at one of their smaller facilities. And I said, oh, well, where, where do you learn how to brew? And she said, UC Davis. You know, I, t- yeah. I studied with Michael Lewis and Charlie Bamforth. Wow. Um, and then uh, just to, to wrap up this first part of the section, Charlie Papazian, we all know his charismatic spoon, as he calls it, this wooden spoon mm-hmm. that he bought at, a, I believe, a Kmart out in Boulder and, you know, used it to homebrew for so many decades. But um, he also donated to us his last personal copy of his first homebrew recipe that he wrote while an wow. undergrad at UVA called Log Boom Brew. has this <laughs> great line in the recipe that says, um, guaranteed to work in Charlottesville and just might work other places too. <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah. Um, and then and then the, the other case that um, rounds out this section is, you know, it kind of tells the story of the, just the flowering of, of, of microbrewing that followed the influence of these three figures. And so um, stories like those of Jack McAuliffe and Ken Grossman at, at um, Sierra Nevada, um, Jack, of course, at New Albion Brewing Company, um, Boulder Beer, New Belgium, Odell's Brewing Company, hmm. Buffalo Bill's Brewery, one of the first brew pubs in the U.S. out in Hayward, California. Um, wonderful objects from all of these places. Excellent. Excellent. That's fantastic. So th- that display goes back. It, will it, is it the weekend of this event or is it prior it, to that? It will um, open to the public on the October 25th. Okay, great. Yes, so a bit of a preview view if you'd like it. And then we will celebrate the reopening of this exhibit, among other things, at our annual Food History Weekend, which will happen November 7th to 9th. Right, right. So how of, so of all these things that you've collected so far, um, and it's so wonderful that you have sort of these artifacts from – these folks who who basically were the godfathers, I guess, of craft beer in the U.S., but but you've collected stuff from all over. What's the most unusual or interesting or I know it's all interesting, mm-hmm. but but the thing that you just that made you go, wow, <laughs> I can't believe this is part of what we're doing, what we've got now. Anything that comes to mind? Right. That's such a great question. And, uh, you know, it's such a it's such an exciting day to be at the museum and hear that something has arrived at the museum. And yeah. you go downstairs and there's a you know a receiving room and you put on the, the purple nitro gloves because suddenly there's this magical transformation between you know, something that is an object to an artifact. And, and brewers often find that very funny to, to think <laughs> that, you know, my wooden spoon, which is pretty dirty and old, <laughs> is suddenly something that you will handle with gloves and, you know, be displayed precious, you know, it's a precious thing behind glass. But that, I mean, that's the magic of the museum, of course. Um, sure. I mean, it was it, it was wonderful to, to collect very recently um, two objects from Sam Caledonia at Dogfish Head mm. Craft Brewery. Uh, I recorded an oral history with him and Mariah early in 2019, and um, they are celebrating the anniversary of his invention of continual hopping. Ah. Um, So this process, of course, to shake hops continually into the, the boil kettle rather than just dose them all at once. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he had has several generations of his continual hopping devices that are at his brewery. And so the, the original version of that is this vintage vibrating football machine, <laughs> which uh, he procured from a nearby thrift store and uh, realized that if he angled it just so over the boil kettle, it could vibrate pelletized hops, you know, ever so gently into his, wow. into his uh, boil. And so, um, so he donated this, this vibrating football machine and uh, also the 
original boil kettle from his first brewing setup. So when he just opened um, Dogfish, Dogfish had brewing and eats in Rehoboth yeah. Beach. Um, you know, this this boil kettle was uh, it was so small that he describes um, in the interview, but also in the in the book he wrote that because of its small size, he had to brew on it multiple times a day, every day, to the extent that he got a bit bored. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was he was close by the kitchen in the uh, the brew pub there and just started to throw these culinary ingredients into right. the beer. And he, he already had this idea that he wanted to be the first brewer uh, to, to make all of his recipes have, you know, contain culinary ingredients in addition to the, the standard ingredients for a beer. And so... Um, so, but just to to look at this boil kettle, which was, uh, you know, back in this um, storage area of Dogfish Head when I toured, and you know, to to note it as something that you know that's the kind of that's the germ of everything that came right. after. You know, just think of all the ingredients that were thrown into that pot and that produced amazing beer. You know, that's kind of where it all started. So those two things, um, and they came recently. Those were those were pretty exciting. That's pretty cool. I remember. I'm old enough, unfortunately, to remember. <laughs> I, we actually had a vibrating oh yeah bubble, okay. uh, machine when I was a kid. And uh, mm-hmm. those of you who don't know, I will have to explain this. Basically, it was a is is a flat table mm-hmm. that that you'd plugged in and flipped on and the table vibrated and you would have these little football pieces that would move around as as the table vibrated and basically they were running plays they weren't they were just like (laughs) bouncing around it was totally random i learned a lot about randomness uh, (laughs) from having from having that game but it's but it's but it's just so interesting how how sam was able to sort of see that and go huh Mm -hmm. and then make a few modifications and then invent a whole new way of of making beer, yes, uh, from that. So, and and now that's at the Smithsonian, and part of its 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 permanent collection of artifacts, uh, which I think is really really fantastic. Okay, now you've dropped some names in <laughs> this show so far. You've mentioned Fritz Maytag, you've mentioned Ken Grossman, you've talked about Charlie Papazian. Uh, a lot of us consider those guys the godfathers of everything that we're involved in and everything we do. And some of us have had an occasional opportunity to hear them speak. But you, dear listener, have the opportunity to go and hear all three of these people. So, Teresa, why don't you tell us how they can do yes. that and what's going to be happening? Sure. So, so as we've mentioned, Smithsonian Food History Weekend, this annual event, it's a multi-day affair with all kinds of um, uh, chef demonstrations and activities and a black tie gala that starts the weekend off. But on Friday, November 8th, um, we always have a brewing history component to Smithsonian Food History Weekend. We call it Last Call. So this year, Friday, November 8th, Last Call is going to be an extremely special last call. And uh, in the the main theater of the museum, I'm going to moderate a conversation among Fritz Maytag, Ken Grossman, Charlie Papazian, and Michael Lewis, the UC Davis professor I mentioned. I'm stunned to have been able to to construct this lineup and uh but just to put them in conversation with each other. I mean the you know, as you said, their their experience in American beer begins in the 60s and continues to the present day. And so uh, to have their perspectives on, you know, really, that I, I hope the past and the present and the future of American beer is going to be completely incredible. And so they are coming, you know, largely in recognition of their recent donations to the museum. And so this evening will be so special because attendees will be able to hear them talk, to hear them talk to each other, to exit the theater and see their objects on display in the exhibit. But then beyond that, of course, you're going to get to drink beer. And so um, so we'll have samples poured by Anchor Brewing Company by Sierra Nevada. 
by uh, Dogfish Head Craft Brewery and also by two other breweries, Raleigh Brewing Company, which now has the contract to brew the original recipe for New Albion Ale by Jack ah, McAuliffe. Okay. And then the fifth is New Belgium Brewing Company. Mm-hmm. And and in addition to these these amazing people I mentioned on stage, there will be other people in attendance uh, who, you know, just they also are coming in, in recognition of their donations. So Kim Jordan, CEO of New Belgium Brewing Company, will be wow. in attendance at the panel. Um, Doug and Wynne Odell from Odell Brewing Company, uh, possibly some other guests who I, I have not been quite confirmed yet, but um, it's just to say that it's just going to be an incredible evening of, of people and um, history and beers and especially in, in talking to these breweries about which beers they will pour, I asked if they would consider pouring their historic recipe. So mm-hmm. when Fritz began at Anchor and you know revitalized the recipe for Anchor Steam and also brewed Anchor Porter very early, he's going to pour those, those two beers will be the ones they will right. pour on November 8th. Similarly, Ken Grossman has talked repeatedly about his um, inspiration from Jack McAuliffe, all he learned from his pale ale recipe when he was preparing his own Sierra Nevada pale ale recipe. And so on the 8th, uh, you you will be able to drink Jack McAuliffe's recipe for uh, New Albion Ale and then also sample the Sierra Nevada pale ale next to it. You know, I wow. think it's pre- going to be pretty interesting to, to put them side by side. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a historical event sort of yes, when you think yes. about it in and of itself because the opportunity that anybody is ever going to have is – Slim to none that you'll ever really be able to try that rest that new Albion yes. recipe and then sort of its exactly you know, right its child uh, from Sierra right. Nevada and to to mention one more kind of awesome pairing um, so Sam Calgioni will not be present uh, okay. on the eighth he has another commitment that night he, his team from Dogfish Head will be there but we will have an objects out of storage table where we will be able to show objects that are not in the exhibit, but have, you know, more recent acquisitions. And so um, Sam's objects, like the vibrating football machine, will be on display there. And, and you know, feet away, you will be able to have a 60-minute IPA, which is the recipe that derived from that football machine. Right, so, right. Yeah. That's yeah, going to so. be fantastic. Yeah. So this is this is definitely, if you're somebody who's in the DMV and and craft beer is something you're passionate about, this is, this is pretty much a once-in-a-lifetime type of event. Like, this is a don't-miss-it uh, kind of thing because to see these people together, to hear them talking about the early days and how they got to it, to have you, Teresa McCullough, moderating it, um, having already done all of these oral histories with all of these folks so that you know the stories. I want to stress how important that is because oftentimes you get a moderator for an event like this who's, you know, they've done some research if they're good and they've, they've prepared for this, but. But you've spent a lot of time talking to these individuals already. So I'm looking forward to your ability to sort of weave their stories together and make help make connections about some of the things that happen in these days as they're on the panel. I'm excited about it. I'm also like I said, I'm just I'm just you know, how what do you how where do you start with those right, four exactly. people talking to each other? And sure, I you know, I I really would love if they I hope they can speak about early instances when their paths crossed. You know, I know yeah. Ken Grossman spent time in the library at UC Davis in the mm-hmm. late 70s, early 80s, t- teaching himself how to brew and learning from Michael Lewis. I know that he visited Jack McAuliffe at New Albion Brewing Company, that all of these early brewers visited Fritz, sometimes got ingredients from him. Um, 
but so, you know, those early interactions, I, I hope they'll be able to talk about that. And, I, you know, I'd also love to ask them to, to talk a bit more with us about, about some of the objects that they donated to the museum. Because, right. you know, what I think would be just wonderful is attendees will be able to go into the exhibit, as I said, to see these objects. But, you know, what else, what else can these speakers tell us about the kind of backstory of these objects, how they were used yeah. and, you know, what they meant on a personal level or, uh, you know, what role did they play in these these people's careers in addition to mm-hmm. now becoming, you know, historical things. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's true. And I think that's a really good point that, that you know, you can go see this exhibit on the 26th of October, the 25th of October, um, after the, starting the 25th of October. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you can come to this event and hear Charlie Papazian sort of tell the story of his Kmart spoon, yes. you can hear, uh, hear them talk in more greater detail than you'll ever get if you just go see the exhibit. And while the exhibit will be wonderful, and I'm sure that there is you know, great information about all the objects, it's, it's different when you get to hear it from, totally. from, yes. from the people who have donated this stuff yes. and, and who made this. So um, this is going to be a really, like I said, this is sort of a can't miss type of event. Uh, and I'm certainly really looking forward to it. And I hope everyone listening to this rushes out to get their <laughs> tickets. Um, if you want to find out more about this besides about this entire weekend, uh, about this last call event and about the exhibit, you know, certainly go to uh, AmericanHistory.si.edu, uh, the Smithsonian uh uh, Museum of American History's website. There will be lots of links to this stuff in the show notes. But is there anything more that you want folks to know, or where they can get information? Well, if you if you want to fast track yourself to the the site to get info about Last Call, um, the shortened URL is s.si.edu forward slash Last Call. Wait, let's do that again. Sure. So s s isn't Sam, yeah. as in Smithsonian. Ah. S.si.edu slash last call. Oh, that's nice and simple. Yes, nice and simple. And uh, you'll you'll find a a link to tickets there. And um, the event runs from 6.30 to 9 on that Friday evening. And as mentioned, in addition to the the theater conversation, um, you get 10 pours, five ounces each from five breweries. Wow. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's a definitely take a cab. Yes, yes. Public transportation. On the record as as saying that, uh, Mm -hmm. Metro. And then, then of course, the exhibit will stay open after hours and uh, we'll have some snacks too. Excellent. Well, this is going to be a very exciting uh, weekend overall, but I am, of course, particularly excited about the sort of like culmination of two years of your work uh, going out to the public and being able to see some of the things that you've been doing. I look forward to seeing more of that. Um, because I know that you will continually be updating these exhibits uh, within the food the section within the uh, food exhibit at the Museum of American History, and uh, and this and the conversation uh, is just going to be spectacular. So thank you so much for coming down here and sitting with me in the studio. I would love to talk to you about beer uh, for hours and hours, but I am going to ask you one question. Okay. You asked me before we started recording, but I want to ask you this one question. Uh-huh. It's like, how did you get involved in beer specifically? In beer, yes. Yeah. Because I mean, obviously you're a historian. Right. Obviously, sure. you've you studied at the School of Culinary Arts in Cambridge. Um, but but how did it, how did all this right. narrow down to beer? Right. Well, my early my earliest personal experiences with beer. My dad was a home brewer, and ah. so and I'm realizing now that he started home brewing pretty early on because when I got this job, he gave me his his early manuals just to add to my shelf at work, and I'm looking at them, and they're actually all British, you know, home brewing, <laughs> right. uh, you know, great early stuff. Um, so this, but this would have been the late '80s when I was seven or eight, and I remember him 
brewing at home and I've told the story before, but I was just, I just thought it smelled terrible, <laughs> but, and yet he, my daughter, <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, but he roped me and my sister at the time into, into helping him cap bottles in the kitchen. And, um, but that's just to say that, so he grew up in Milwaukee, um, mm. and you know, great bastion of beer, uh, beer production and consumption. And, but like you said, grew up with this understanding that there was good beer and that good beer was important and that you better have good beer around. And, uh, and so again, also when I was a kid, he would drink Sierra Nevada pale ale and anchor and, uh, Sam Adams, Boston lager. And, uh, um, there's one Christmas Eve when, uh, I can't remember what age I was, but, you know, we would put out milk and cookies for Santa on the hearth until one year he told us, uh, he said, you know, Santa really likes Sam Adams Boston Lager. So <laughs> the message being, you know, please put a beer out for me tonight and, you know, <laughs> drop the milk. So, um, so just that background of home brewing and of beer, good beer being, being important, um, is something that followed me through my time. You know, I, I took a divergent path studying languages and like you said, working for the CIA and going to cooking school and getting a PhD studying food and drink history and working in some restaurants. Um, and just so when this job ad popped up, it was an awesome combination of my, my personal uh, experience, professional interests. So That's fascinating. That is yeah. really wonderful. I love, I, I, the reason I asked specifically, um, is because every conversation that I have with somebody involved in brewing, there's always that sort of roundabout, yes. you know, like nobody's <laughs> yeah. just like, yeah, I don't know. I just decided I want to be a brewer. Exactly. <laughs> right? yes, yes. Like everybody did something, exactly, um, you know, right. that sort of there was. a, And for most of us, there was a sort of trigger moment, mm-hmm. you know, where we were like, yes. oh, this is really interesting. Um, and you would probably not be surprised to hear how many of those eureka moments involve Anchor Steam. Uh, mm-hmm. as, I, as I travel around, talk to all these people and I say, you know, what was your eureka moment? So many people yeah. talk about Anchor Steam um, or Sierra Nevada Pale Ale mm-hmm. as just being these kind of transformational uh, beers. Um, but but when I ask that question to others and I get these answers about winding careers, still there are these themes that emerge that I find really interesting to see. You know, many people talk about a background in science. Mm-hmm. They cite a background in travel, international travel. Many yep. brewers started as, you know, self-described army brats. They lived everywhere that develops a really, you know, complex palette and uh, – uh, or you know an affinity for making things for being tinkerers and so yeah. there are there are themes within these winding paths I think so. well I'm sure we're going to hear about some of those themes uh, at the last call event on November eighth yes uh, so I hope everyone comes out to that we'll close out the show with our usuals um, but thank you so much again for being here. thank you for having me thank you. Um, Okay, so don't forget dcbeer.com for all the information that you need to know about what's going on in the craft beer scene in the DMV. Also, follow us at dcbeer on all the social medias. Uh, And if you get a chance, go over to dcbeer.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Weekly Pour, so you can get uh, updates on what's going on delivered right to your inbox. Thanks so much, uh, and join us again next week.